Hey, welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. The show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com. All right, so welcome to the Hell Has an Exit podcast. I'm your host, Brian Alzate. Um, I got Corey L. here tonight. Corey, what up, dog? What's up, homie? You know, I just want to say, you know, uh, you are one of my closest friends, bro. I've known you probably, what, like uh, eight years? How long have you been clean? Over 10. Over 10 years? 10 and a half years. Yeah, bro, so I've known you since the beginning, since uh, day one, bro. Over a decade. I guess uh, what I want you to do is just you gonna go into your story, 20, 30 minutes of your story, you know, ask you questions. We could talk about how we met, and um, the floor is all yours, bro. Thank you. It's a lot better than having to speak in front of an audience. So I was uh, sitting at my house, and uh, when you text me, I want you to come do a podcast. My wife listens to them all the time, and I was just like, what the hell is a podcast? Because I still <laughs> order these fucking DVDs. And I'm old school from the beeper days. I don't know, every time you call me to speak or something like that, I always feel God's spirit moving me. And uh, I just kind of was like, all right, I'm on my way. Threw on some chucks and came over. And I was thinking about on the way over here, like the first time I met you, you know, I'm from South Florida where uh, people sell a lot of dope and they do a lot of drug dealing. And um, when I first met you, you were one of the first people that I knew that was getting clean. And uh, I respect you for that. Yeah, bro. I guess, um, you know, because we're pretty different, you know, a little far apart in age, you know, I just remember you like when I first got clean and you're just like super quiet, didn't talk to nobody. You would go to the meeting with uh, Steve and just sit in the corner and then just bounce five minutes early, show up five minutes late. You're definitely one of the closest people in my life. I know we don't talk every day, bro, but like I got mad love for you. You're a brother to me. And you got a badass story, bro. I just love your story, everything about it. So if you just want to go into like upbringing, what it was like growing up in Hollywood. I love you too, man. I still, even after 10 years clean, I still sit in the back of church, sit in the back of meetings. Um, at the movie theater, I sit on the end seat. I'm always the quickest to the door just because of uh, old survival mechanisms. I've had some past experiences that uh, were traumatizing. So I always want to be able to get to the door if I have to. I'm a native South Floridian, and I was born and raised in Hollywood. When I grew up, uh, I was athletic. I played baseball, football, basketball. I was captain of the volleyball team. Damn, bro, you play you play volleyball? I was captain of the volleyball team, dude, in middle school. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was real athletic. I got honor roll. My parents raised me well. So I started doing drugs when I was about 13, and I started selling drugs when I was 13. Same age. The drug dealing went with the uh, drug using. When I started doing that. What did you start with, like weed? Yeah, I used to put little dime bags in the little baseball plastic cards that you'd <laughs> put like the Ken Griffey Jr. in. And uh, I'd bag up little 2.8 dimes, scrimp them. You know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> I just started doing that. And then, uh, you know, I just got addicted to making the money. I don't know. I was a social bug. I always hung out with kids older than me. My mom used to yell at me about it. She said, it's going to get you in trouble. 
I never used to listen. Mm -hmm. And it would just, I don't know, I started using drugs and, and gang banging and trying to start my own gang and this and that. I don't know what happened. I My parents got a Like divorce. at what age were you when you started gang banging? Um, probably, probably the same age, 13. I always tried to hang with a clique. I always wanted mm -hmm. to be down with somebody. I don't know. It was like when my parents got a divorce. I, I don't know if I was lashing out. My mom found a, a a handgun in my drawer when I was 15, and she called the cops on me. She did. She was part of one of those programs where the cop, if you turn in the gun, you know, blah, 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 parents turn in the kid's gun. Mm -hmm. It was like this program for the Hollywood Police Department, and she did that. Wow. Yeah. And then you went and got another one? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I just remember watching my uh, father drink. He would take us to school sometimes in the morning, and I would get done combing my hair or something, and I'd go out to the garage where he had an office, and I'd be like, I'm ready for school. And he'd say, go comb your hair. And I knew something was weird because I just got done combing my hair. And he would slam the uh, index cabinet. He used to hide vodka in there, and he'd slam mm -hmm. the door shut. And later on, I'd peek, see what's in there, and I kind of like notice little things like that. And uh, my mom used to get mad at him for driving with us in the car. And I used to sneak in the truck, in his truck, and pour out his drinks and throw out his cigarettes. And he used to get pissed. And uh, I just started noticing things. My grandmother owned a bar on Hollywood Beach. You know, everything I grew up around was, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. I mean, my mom was probably like the goody two-shoe homecoming queen of Hollywood Hills High School. Mm -hmm. And uh, she wasn't an addict, you know. But my dad was like the Jim Morrison type, like office rocker. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like the goody two-shoe. And I remember uh, as soon as I started doing drugs, man, I just, I got addicted to it, man. Um, you know, even when I would smoke weed, I would I would throw up sometimes. My friends would make fun of me. <laughs> and uh, I'd keep smoking, you know. Or, I, or I'd hide throwing up from drinking too much. I'd try to sneak out the back door of my house. And I would try to throw up quietly so my mom wouldn't hear me. And uh, she, obviously, I used to like call dinosaurs when I'd throw up, so she would come and uh, she'd find me throwing up in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And this is when I was young, 15. And I just started doing a lot of drugs, man. Me and my dad, my mom, they, after they got divorced, my dad, he moved out and I, uh, I moved in with him and I dropped out of high school. I mean, in high school, I used to drive a 93 Nissan Sentra with an ounce of cocaine and the little black tanita scale and a QP weed and smoke fucking chopper joints <laughs> during school. And uh, back in the days, they would call, you know, lace joints and Choppers. I mean, high school kids doing that. Something ain't right, brother. Mm -hmm. You know, I started getting into a lot of drugs, man, hanging out with only people that did drugs but i was weird back in the days because i was like i could hang out with the surfers that were doing acid and then i could hang out with the other people you know like i could hang out with people that were putting crack in blunts mm -hmm. i just got along with everybody and i just i started doing a lot of drugs man i got addicted to xanax ecstasy you know in high school i was i was banged up you know like i hear a lot of this stuff out here right now about the fentanyl my dad overdosed on fentanyl in front of me in in the nineties. Wow, he was getting uh, the patches. He was getting the patches and eating the gel, mm -hmm. yeah. and he was ordering lollipops online. They had fentanyl lollipops back mm -hmm. in the days. This is the nineties, you know. So people would think it's a new drug. It's not a new drug. It's been around for a long yeah, time. Fentanyl's been around forever. But I, the only time I heard about it was the patches and kids. We used to suck the patches out, and people used to die back in the day from eating the patches. Yeah, they used to take the gel out, mm -hmm. and people were overdosing back then people weren't doing as much fentanyl back then because they had the oxys mm -hmm. 
and uh my dad got real bad on on that like on opiates real bad real bad man like is that how you started doing opiates i actually took my first oxycontin with my father wow how old were you i was about 18 he had the green 80s mm-hmm. he used to take the coating off of them and snort them yeah well i did he used to make fun of me because i would snort everything and he would eat them he would eat them he'd say why do you snort everything <laughs> if i look at it now it was uh you know my dad was always like the uh he was not like the father he was like my best friend mm-hmm. you know and um there's times I will, if I look back now, I appreciate who he was and why. But like, it was hard not having the father figure and just having a friend, you know? Yeah, I mean, now that you got kids, I mean, you'd never imagine doing that with your kids, you know? No, no way. Yeah. After I got on them Zannies, man, and, and all the pills, it was over for me. Like, what I, was that, like 18? Yeah, 18, man. I was addicted to them. And were you selling a lot then, or when did you start selling a lot? Yeah, I was moving work. I used to have a friend, I had this Chico friend. He uh, taught me how to uh, repress, re-rock cocaine. Mm-hmm. Back in the days, that was like, you know, if you knew how to do that, it was almost like cooking crack. You know, if you could take a half a bird and turn it into a, a bird and a half with the mm-hmm. right cut and know how to mix it right, you make a lot of money, you know? And, like, people would get mad at my friend, this Chico that's taught me how to do it. He'd say... You can't go around showing people that because then you're taking away from the game. They fuck the game up, yeah. And then I would start teaching people, and they, <laughs> and everybody would get hot. So mm-hmm. it's like, once you learn how to do that, it's over. So once I learned how to do that, it was over. You know, I just started getting involved heavy, man. I was, I had this bad drug deal go wrong one time. Um, I got pistol whip on acid, mm-hmm. and I never been right since. Uh, I was about eighteen. A buddy of mine was taking um, birds up to Vermont. We were getting them down here for like seventeen five back in the days. Not like a pound of what coke? No, it was like a key. A key of yay. Yeah, a key of coke. They were, it was seventeen five back in the days, and he was bringing it up to Vermont and mm-hmm. getting off the plane and getting thirty five cash. So he was bringing some up there, and the night before, I guess he went through somebody else and cut somebody else's throat and blah blah blah. And we were getting fucked up at the house before he was gonna jump on the plane the next day. And uh, one of the kids we used to be in the clique with, we used to be in the same gang. Um, he came in the house. I used to cut the kids' hair and everything. He was, you know, we were cool. But he was one of them hot wires that, like, you were cool with him, but he was, like, you, you know, crazy. And uh, I was tripping on acid. I was taking microdots. And uh, he put a gun to my head and slapped me in the face with it. And if you've ever taken acid, you don't ever want to get pistol whipped on acid. Yeah. So, you, you know, I've never been right since, and that's... Kind of why. I That's get, where, like, like, the trauma started? For sure. For sure. You thought, like, he was definitely going to kill you at that point? Yeah. Um, I mean, I became that person that I feared in that room, you know? Yeah, because you, how old were you at this point? 18. So that's probably when you were like, yo, I ain't going to let no one else do that shit to me, right? Nah, I turned into him, man. I turned mm-hmm. into the other, other side of the gun, you know? And, uh... I think it was all out of fear. Well, I know today it was all out of fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things like that happened, uh, but not not as bad. And like when I, when that happened to me, I just started- Moving rob- different. I started robbing and stealing, dude, with the pistol. And uh, like I would take Zanny bars. I mean, I, I, would, I would rob my friends, bro, people that I know since kindergarten. Mm-hmm. I got one of my best friends right now to this day that I ended up robbing. 
and uh, I went to Orlando with some stuff that I took out of his safe and then robbed somebody else when I was up there, came back and paid my buddy back. And like when we met back up, we were like crying like little kids. <laughs> it, it was crazy, you know, like I, I'm not that type of person, but, you know, I can be, mm-hmm. you know, like I wasn't raised like that, but like something inside of me, I don't know what happened. It just, I think drugs had a lot to do with it, but I'm not going to lie to you to this day. I still feel like doing shit like that, that I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to blame it on the drugs, but it's not the drugs. You know, it's just in me. I don't know what it is. A part of me that always wants to be like that. I feel like once you've crossed those lines, you know what it's like to cross them. You know what I mean? It's like, let's say, uh, you know, Mike Tyson, he don't fight no more. He knows he could still throw a right punch and knock someone out and kill him. You know what I mean? So he he still has the ability to. And I think like once you've crossed those lines, you we know we have the ability to be that scummy person to like do that. Because most people have never been there before where they would never even do that. And I think that, you know, having the ability is kind of like knowing how to fight and just choosing not to, whereas some people have never been in that situation before, you know? I mean, there's sometimes, even in recovery, I'll scare myself because I'll feel the old me coming back up. Like, you know, in my line of work, I run a halfway house business and I work in treatment Mm -hmm. and I deal with people that are on drugs and, and they get lippy or they're drunk and they run their mouth. And I really have to just remove myself because... I can't put my hands on nobody right now. I got too much to risk. I'm mm-hmm. not a convicted felon. Yeah. And I should be. You know, and it's like, you know, that beast is still there. But, you know, with God, man, I'm just like, I'm a peaceful dude. You know, I mean, people can yell some shit in my face and it's like martial arts for me. Mm-hmm. Like everything that I learned is like, I'm not going to let that pride get me, man. Now, if somebody put their hands on me, that's a totally different self defense. Yeah. Exactly. But it's like, I, I know. God has humbled me so much that I have self-control that I don't, that somebody around me is not going to cause me to put my hands on them. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, you know, I have a bigger battle that I'm fighting, not just this person. Like I'm trying not to be that person because it's easy to be that person, right? It's harder for me to not to. So it's like, it's more of a, a difficult task to me not hit, to hit someone or slap someone, you know, for sure. It's, it it's takes the harder all, route. It yeah. takes all the. It takes. <laughs> it takes sometimes all my might in the world just to walk away without mm-hmm. slapping the shit out of somebody. Like there's time, and you know what? When you every time I do that, I feel like I, I feel like every time that I'm about to punch somebody in the mouth and I don't, mm-hmm. I gain another step towards God. You know, and other people see that light too because I've done it. And people have been like, wow, I can't believe you didn't hit that dude. Yeah. I've I've worked in a distribution department for a bakery for like eight years. Mm-hmm. And uh, this driver got lippy one time. And I worked with my buddy that's in recovery too, my buddy Steve. And uh, I walked away and just started saying the serenity prayer, walking in circles, just pray, 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 pray. I just prayed. And uh, my buddy walks up to me. He's like, yo, I don't know how you just did that, bro. He's like, that's cool. And I was like... And then that that moment, I I felt him see that change. I don't have to preach to him nothing. He just seen how I did it, mm-hmm. you know. And people see that, and people know that you can. You know what I mean? You're a big yeah. dude, bro. You yeah. know what I mean? And like uh, even just seeing you get clean, like there are people that I know from Hollywood that were like, oh, like just seeing you get clean has inspired so many people from Hollywood. They were like, bro, I seen the neighborhood dope man get clean. You know what I mean? So it's very cool to see somebody that you know has the ability to sell dope or, you know, hurt people, whatever, just choose not to live that way no more. For sure. I mean, even 
right now in Hollywood, if I mean, I could go, I know where all the bandos are. I still, mm-hmm. all, a lot of my friends are still on the street doing their thing. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just when they see me, it's just like, we'll go out or something. And they're like, yo, is it all right if I order a beer? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it took me like over seven years for me to get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And like, they drink around me or they smoke. Or if I go to a concert and like people are smoking trees, like you can't lean over and be like, hey, man. Um, you can't smoke weed. It's not good for you. And I'm in, re- yeah. I'm in recovery. That's illegal. Yeah, they're not. They're sitting at a freaking, uh, you know, Dave Matthews band concert, and then you know they smoke a little. People mm-hmm. can smoke weed. You know, I'm not, I'm not against weed. I mean, I can't smoke weed, mm-hmm. but uh, you can't go around telling everybody, hey, you can't do that around me. I mean, it's everywhere, mm-hmm. especially now. Yeah. So let's get into uh, the rest of the story. So I guess like at 18, you have that that uh, altercation that kind of changes you. So what does the next couple of years look like or the next 10 years, I guess? I mean, drugs and violence and- uh, Did you start selling more, like more than that at yeah, that point? Yeah, I moved, I actually had an um, ex-girlfriend that I was dating. Um, she moved to Orlando and I had a couple buddies. I, I dropped out and then a, a, most of my friends were, uh, moving to Orlando to go to UCF and shit like that. Mm-hmm. So I moved up there and just started moving work. You know, like every week I would just drive. Was it mainly Coke or just Coke, weed, whatever? Uh, everything, really. I mean, I started selling ecstasy. Rolls, it, yeah. Everything. I mean. When did the pills get real bad? I mean, which ones? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess like opiates, because like for me, I know that like in Broward County, South Florida, whatever, like it was just. I used to see pills as like softer drugs than Coke and crack, but oxys and roxys and, you know, fentanyl and, and methadone, like all the opiates, I didn't realize that it was like on the same level as crack and heroin, you know? The, uh, I don't know, they started getting a hold of me at like early 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, I was in Orlando doing that. I was doing opiates too. I mean, I was taking a lot of ecstasy too. Yeah. Um, I think I, I started getting like chemically dependent on all like the opiates and the zannies like early twenties in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. I went to jail up in Orlando for a burglary. I was I uh, I punched through this girl a friend of mine's window because I, I wanted to get an Eminem CD out because I would listen to this Eminem song over and over <laughs> when I was rolling, and uh, I ended up breaking her window to get a CD. So I went to jail for fucking some stupid shit, burglary and criminal mischief in mm-hmm. Orlando. And, uh, you know, I got on probation. I would do all right for a little bit. And I, I just, once I went to jail, I came back down here and it was the same thing, man. I would just, uh, everything that I did, I would end up in jail. And, uh, luckily I'm not a convicted felon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got, I tried to stab my older brother with a knife. Uh, he's a bodybuilder. So he tried to, we tried to fight and, uh, I caught an aggravated battery with a deadly weapon charge, man. And I remember my mom's face when they were when the cops were taking me away in the cop car. I remember looking back at my mom and seeing the look on her face after I just tried to stab my older brother with wow. a knife. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you don't forget that. Like the look on her face haunts me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not that dude, man. You know, that's not me. But like I said, under the circumstances, I mean, you, I'm banged up. He's Whatever. a big dude. Mm-hmm. I was just. To kind of defended myself and i got a little out of hand you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh luckily he didn't show up for court and uh they dropped the charges and after that i just i would go in and out of jail i would catch possession of cocaine charge i would do drug court 
the drug court's like a system where you can get the withheld judification. I'd make it through that, and then I wouldn't have another felony. Then I caught a battery charge over at the Hard Rock. I punched somebody in the mouth at the center bar and mm -hmm. catch another charge, do my anger management, and then boom, I didn't, you know, that's a misdemeanor. And, uh, you know, this last time I went to jail was my saving grace. I was looking at an armed trafficking charge, and, uh, you know, God intervened. I uh, was living in Davie, Florida. You know, I had been doing my thing for a long time. And uh, this was 2009. So I guess people don't know what that means. Like, I've been to your house before, and, it, like, you live in the same house now. And I remember asking you, like, you know, what was it like when you were using? Because, like, in the midst of all this, you got, I don't know if you got married, but you got kids, you know, and you're still selling dope out the same house. You know, and, like, I go to your house now, and it's just, like, all this spiritual shit everywhere. And, and like, you know, uh, you're listening to Bob Marley. And, like, you know, I would only imagine that when you were using, it was, like, a whole nother household, bro. Yeah, people were walking around with assault rifles. Mm -hmm. um, I used to have a three oh eight, and my wife used to say, she always used to ask me, do you have to carry that gun everywhere you go? <laughs> I would take it to the toilet. I always, I don't know, I just always had a gun. And I remember one time I was going to the doctor, and uh, something told me to, like, leave it home. And when I did, as soon as I left the house, this guy broke in the back of my house, dude. And my wife actually grabbed the gun that I left off mm -hmm. the counter and chased the dude out the back door. Wow, with the gun? With the gun. And something, and I never leave it home, but I was like, I'm going to the doctor. I don't need it mm -hmm. right now, you know? So in like therapy, because I was thinking is that, you know, uh, I've learned that um, we create the same scenarios that we grew up in. So the same scenario you grew up with, I don't know if you can see, is like, you know, your dad being the wild one and you know, mom being the goody two shoes. That's kind of like you and Tara. Yeah. Tara's the peaceful, but she can be wild too. <laughs> she can be wild too. Yeah. yeah. She threw a butter knife one time and then it <laughs> stuck in the door. Wow. A butter knife with no tip stuck mm -hmm. right in the door. But she's calm now, you know? Yeah. And I, I remember, uh, you know, like when, when they started watching my house, the cops were watching my house. I guess somebody must have snitched on me or something. You know, it all comes down to that. Mm hmm. And um, I was getting ready to go. My it, what happened? What led up to it was my brother died, you know, and and it just like my little brother Blaine, he he passed away December fourth, two thousand nine, or no, December fifth. I had my firstborn son December fourth, mm -hmm. um, Quinn, and uh, my brother died the next day. Wow, I was uh, you know, home after my son was born on the fourth, and then my little brother Blaine came home on the fifth. He came home high. Uh, we got an argument, and uh, I kicked him out. Uh, I pulled a gun on him. I mean, we got in a bad argument. I remember my dad saying, I wish you guys stopped fighting. Put the gun away, Corey. And then when my brother, when I kicked him out, he got hit by a car walking to the hospital to see my son. Wow. Yeah, that was the last time I seen him. Um, and that's kind of what led up to me getting clean, you know. Um, two weeks after that. I found my father overdosed again in my house that he was living with me in, you know, and this isn't conducive to uh, bringing home a newborn son, my first son ever, mm -hmm. too. Um, and I went crazy, man. I just, I went on armed robbery sprees. I just, I lost my mind. I wanted to die. How old are you at this point? This is when I was 30. Uh, this was 2009. I, I was wiling out all the way until 2010. Like in March, I caught a charge. Cops were watching my house. 
as soon as I pulled out, I was going to the tattoo shop because I worked at a tattoo shop. And I saw the car get behind me. The cop car got behind me. So I had a gun. I had bottles of methadone and Roxy's and eight ball in my shoe. I blazed up a cribby joint. You know, <laughs> I, I had a scully on. It was like 80 degrees. I'm a, I was being a moron. And uh, I just pressed some work, fucking took off. And they see another cop got behind me, and boom, they pulled me over. And, um, you know, I tried to, like, wiggle my way out of it and uh, tell the guy that was arresting me that I was a confidential informant going on a drug sting and that I was, like, this undercover cop (laughs) working for the police. And he was looking at me like, come on, dude. You know, he knew. And uh, he, I was telling him, I have a buddy that lives in Hollywood, Florida, um, this guy, Joey Tango, uh, he's a lieutenant. He's a detective now. I always used to hang out with him when we were kids, and he always gets me out of trouble. So I, t- I sprayed his name to the Davy cop, mm-hmm. and Davy and Hollywood are, are close to each other. You know, they're different cities. And he looked at me, and he said, you know Officer Joey Tango? Now I was like, whoa, and I felt God right there. Like I felt like this presence that was like, you can't, you know, when you feel there's these God moments, you feel like divine intervention that you can't put a word on it. Mm-hmm. I felt it. I felt God's hand putting his hand on me saying it's going to be all right. And he was like, he called him up. He knew him. And he was like, and I was thinking, what's the coincidences of this cop and Davy knowing the one cop that I know in a different city? Mm-hmm. And he called him up and he asked him and he said, if you answer this question right, then you can have somebody come pick up your gun in your car. I'll drop the armed trafficking and I'll just bring you in on a possession charge. And that's what happened. He asked, he said, what baseball park did you play at? And I said, Rotary Park on Tap Street. He said, you must be the luckiest son of a bitch I ever arrested. Wow. He had my brother-in-law come pick up my gun in my car and then he took me in on a possession. And I've been clean since. Wow. And that, and you know, that's 2010. So wow, I've been crazy. clean over 10 years. Crazy. Even when I went to, uh, like when I got out on bond, I remember I they court ordered me to go to this county facility, um, Bark, mm-hmm. and um, I was I was just like sick, man, dope sick. I remember going there with no shoes on, and the lady didn't want to let me in because I had methadone in my system, and, and and she had a glow about her too. She had that God glow, and I can't like explain it. It's not like this orange big glow. It's just like this glow that the people that angels have. You know, you mm-hmm. can't put it in words. Not to get too deep. She said, I'm not going to write down you have methadone in your system, and I'm going to let you come in. And she's like, I can't put you back on the street looking the way you're looking. And I said, thank you. I was shaking. I mean, at this time, I was shooting steroids and not even working out. (laughs) I was smoking crack. I don't even smoke crack, dude. And she let me come in, and and knowing that she shouldn't have let me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was part of my journey, dude. I've been clean since that shit. Wow. You know? Yeah, because I actually remember you because I bring, uh, I've been doing H&I and bringing me into that same facility and I remember you being in there. And um, it's interesting that we've known each other that whole time. So up until that point, did you know about meetings? Um, my my grandma actually died 12 years sober wow. in AA. Mm-hmm. My dad was, he went, in, he was in the fellowship too for a little bit for like five years. Mm-hmm. And uh, he used to take us to meetings when I was a kid. So yeah, I'm, I'm. I actually carry my grandmother's uh, coin. Medallion. Yeah, it's got twelve. It's a half dollar with twelve holes drilled in it. Mm-hmm. I have it in my pocket right now. Wow, you still carry it? Still carry it wow. every day. Wow. 
and that so i mean i'm familiar with meetings so when you go to bark you go to detox you're shaking or whatever do you think that you're getting clean like do you have it in your head that you're going to stay clean like what happens in there in those 30 45 days that like changes like your mentality a little bit i don't know you just feel like you're gonna die when you're coming off benzos and alcohol and opiates at the same time mm -hmm. and methadone i mean that detox right there they had to keep me on the second protocol they had to keep me not let me go after the first five days because i was still shaking mm -hmm. and uh, i was so sick um not only physically sick but like just done man you know my brother was dead my dad fucking overdosed my house i'm just I've been in and out of jail. I just got my firstborn son. I don't, I'm a scared father. I mean, I was done, bro. You know, I mean, I was hallucinating in detox. There was like a little bird chirping out my window and I wouldn't mm -hmm. get out of bed. They kept yelling, group time, and I wouldn't get up. And I would just listen to this bird chirp thinking it was my brother talking to me. Wow. Like losing my mind, you know? So what was it like when you actually went to treatment? Uh, I went to treatment one time. It stuck with me because I guess I was ready. Mm -hmm. A lot of people uh, in 12-step fellowships that I go to, they knock treatment, mm -hmm. and it, that ain't my story, man. I mean, treatment actually taught me how to live my life, dude. It taught me how to solve problems. And you met your sponsor in treatment. I still yeah. have the same sponsor. He was my, he worked for the treatment center that I went to, and he's mm -hmm. still my sponsor today. I've had the same sponsor for over 10 years. Wow. And he taught me a lot, man. I mean, there were days, like, my therapist would have me write a letter to my brother, and he and my sponsor would walk in and bring me mail to my room and I'd be crying and he'd be like, yo, man, you all right? And uh, we would talk or whatever. And uh, he would say, you know what? He start talking about his brother because his brother died from alcoholism. And then before he walked out of his room, I remember this the first time I ever heard about it. It was about empathy. He said, that means I feel you, brother. You know, like like he lost his brother. I lost my brother. And like my tears went away. And it was the first time that I felt like that connection with somebody that had been through the same thing as me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like locked us in. And, you know, like little things like that kept happening in treatment. People were like taking the water out of the toilet bowl to smoke cigarettes. I mean, people were snorting Oxy-80s in there. Wow. Listen, you know, you, you know how it is. It's just like when you go to treatment, you're either going to do it or you ain't. You know, and that, and that shit saved my life, man. I took parenting classes. Um, it was hard for my sister. Did your girl my, come visit you? Yeah, that was another problem I had. My my wife came to visit me one time on her birthday, and um, it was like my first test of uh, spirituality because the, the guard at the front wouldn't let her in because she was like two minutes late. So I sat in my room in, in treatment and watched her run back to the car crying, and it was her birthday, and I felt like, I was like on my way to go fuck this guard up, dude. And like, I'm starting to walk and I'm like, get tears in my eyes, I'm so pissed. And like something was like, I just felt God teach me a little lesson. Like, this is the kind of shit you gotta learn how to deal with. Like mm -hmm. that was my fault that, you're, that was my fault that I'm there. So, you know, the dude's doing his job. Like I never had, I didn't have clarity like that back in the days, you know? I yeah, you'd be like, bro, it's two minutes, come on, what the fuck? Yeah, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even be talking, bro. He'd be laying on the floor leaking. <laughs> Yeah. it ain't even fucking i i really had to practice it right there god was god was already moving me man i i, mm -hmm. ain't, I can't even explain it. god moves me i don't even know how to like a puppet mm -hmm. like he, I, as soon as i was going to drop dude i was calmed by god's spirit saying listen this is, you gotta leave it alone man this is what you gotta learn how to deal with you gotta start being a big boy now and not learn how to put your hands on people mm -hmm. 
And I, I started digging in steps too, you know, like when I jumped out of there and when I got out of treatment, I started going to meetings. I go to a 12 step fellowship and, uh, I'm not going to lie. When I first got out of bark, I went and grabbed like a half ounce of Coke, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and I was, you know, cause that's what I did. I, just to sell. Yeah, <laughs> it was though. I was just going to make a little money. Yeah. And, uh, I just didn't, something didn't feel right, dude. I actually gave it away. Wow. For free. I gave it to my buddy. He's like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> I said, listen, man, I'm done with this shit. You can have it. He's like, you want the money? I said, nah, keep it. Wow. And I know like, uh, you know, you used to always tell me, bro, like, you know, not selling the drugs is harder sometimes than, than the drugs. It is. It's very hard. So let's talk about like, you know, when you get out of treatment and, and what like that first year looked like. I think going to the meetings was the hardest part because I remember going to meetings when I was a kid, but not for myself. Mm -hmm. So when I started going. Did you think it was like corny? Like, did you have that vibe of like, man, this is like just whack. It's weird. It's weird. Yeah. You thought it was just people weird. People are hugging. <laughs> These people are like, I mean, everybody's smiling. It's like, it's like that movie, uh, Pleasantville, <laughs> awkwardly happy. And uh, it was just, it was creepy, man. But I just, I just kept going, man, because I was scared. Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to go back, so I was. And I remember my grandmother. I remember Pizza re Recovery, and I wanted that. And I seen people picking up medallions and like listening, to, like your story. Um, mm -hmm. You know, other people. You know, hell has an exit. I mean, I used to listen to speaker tapes, not mm -hmm. to break people's anonymity, but yeah. you know. I remember the same pain that brought me here is the same pain that got me out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's ironic in the spiritual world. You know what I'm saying? It can do that. And I remember going to those meetings. I started working steps. I went through all the steps, the traditions. You know, I've had good experiences and I've had bad experiences with the steps. I sponsor people now. The growth that I have now, uh, you know, the 12 steps. My dad always used to say, everybody should live by the 12 steps. Mm -hmm. And until you do them and live them, you can't explain it to anybody. It's like doing acid. Yeah. You, if you have a trip, you don't know what it's like <laughs> to trip. So never, if you're not living the 12 never steps. Know what it's like. Like if someone does something wrong, you'd be like, dude, just live your nine step, man. Yeah. You know? And they're like, what? <laughs> uh, what about like like when we first started becoming close? Because I remember I used to see you all the time. And honestly, bro, I was just scared of you, bro. You're like 6'4", 300 pound, dude. Maybe not 300, what are you, 240? Uh, 2.30 now. I've been exercising. There you go. Other brothers, dude's huge. He don't talk to anybody, bro. He just sits in the back. He never shares. And, you know, tattoos on his face, covered in tattoos. And not that, like, I didn't talk to people that, that were in meetings that were a little quiet, but, like, you just never said nothing for a whole year. And um, I remember I was at the noon or something, and you just, like, walked up to me and were like, hey, man, you want to be my friend? And I was like, yeah, bro, whatever, you know, hit me up. And then we just started hanging out. I remember hearing you share, dude. I said, this guy, man, I got to stick with this dude. Because you, you were doing recovery, man. You were like one of the first people that I heard doing recovery. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that same juice that you had. And you could see it in your spirit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll see you all over the place. I remember I would talk to Steve and then you'd always be like 20 feet away. like Sitting by the door. Sitting by the door or like headed to your car yeah yeah there's like you know you could tell there's like a lot of fear going on but you know at meetings like you never really know you know like they say you can't uh weigh or gauge someone's willingness to stay clean sometimes it's in you know the one person that you don't think is even interested 
you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then we started hanging out, and I remember I would go to your house, and we'd listen, I'd, you know, play a speaker tape for you, whatever. We used to get down on the speaker mm-hmm. tapes. Yeah. Not too many people can feel that. That's why I think, uh, like, when you when you do these podcasts and Someone stuff. did that for me, bro. Bro, this dude, this uh, crazy Steve, train wreck Steve, bro, this guy gave me a CD of speaker tapes. It was over. Bro, it was on. I was like... <laughs> Get the fuck out, bro. I was listening to speaker tapes in high school just like over and over. Like, oh, you got to listen to this guy. You got to listen to this. Because it's different, bro. When you go to a meeting, you hear people with three years clean, six years clean, seven years clean. We're listening to people with 15, 18, 20 years clean, screaming and yelling with all this passion. And, you know, and uh, I just got real hooked on it. It was like, um, for me, the way that I see it is like, I, you know, when I get into something, I want to really like study the greats. You know, it's like, you know, you love music, but you never listen to Jimi Hendrix or you love music, but you never listen to Bob Marley or like you don't like Tupac. And, you know, it's like, yeah, bro, I understand there's good rap today, but you got to know where it came from. And when I started listening to speaker tapes, I started to really get into like how the 12 steps started and having a lot of appreciation for like the founding members and, um, you know, how special it is. Because at first I'm like, ah, oh, bro, this shit's corny or whatever. I didn't like the speaker last night. They were boring, you know, and then I started to really appreciate and see how it works. I was the same way. I started looking up. I started listening to like, like looking at the, um, the history of all of it Mm -hmm. and like learning how the 12 step fellowship came from Oxford groups. Mm -hmm. And like the way I am, if you tell me, well, you can't do that because the Bible says, so I'll say, show me where it says that. Show me. But I'm the same way with the 12 step fellowship. I'm in, I want to know where it's coming from what this thing's about, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing. I ate it up, man. That That's just something that, you know, God just puts you there, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, I'm able to sit in a church or anywhere and just and, and feel the spirit and get the goosebumps. Yeah, because a lot of times, like, I remember when I was a kid, I would go to church, and like, my mom's real religious, and, like, I would just focus on the one thing I didn't get with. I would focus on the one thing that didn't make no sense. Like, bro, you think people really live that long? You know, like, like the fuck? Like, I would just focus on, like, the small things that didn't make any sense to me instead of trying to see the bigger picture or, or the message. You know, it's not about whether or not the stories are true or not or whatever. It's about the message is still true today. And I would just go to a church and pick it apart. And I did that everywhere I went. I would go to Publix and find the things I don't like about Publix. You know, I would justify everything in my life. And I couldn't go somewhere and just find something good. And it's like now, it's like I brought could go anywhere and get a message out of it. Sometimes it's just what what I don't want to do. You know, this guy, uh, I think his name was Marvin, would always say, you know, you're all my teachers. Some of you teach me what to do. Some of you teach me what not to do. You never know where the message is coming from. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the blessings I got from recovery is probably, you know, if, if you see a priest and a, and a drug dealer sitting on the bench, um, you think the priest is going to be giving you the message, but it ends up being the drug dealer, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, that's what you never know who God's angels are. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they could come with gold teeth and tattoos. They normally do. In my life, they have. Yeah. yeah for experience. Mm-hmm. I I started getting deep in 12 step fellowship, man. I mean, that just from, I don't know what it is. There's just something that, you know, God gets the glory, man. You know, like how, how I live my life is to honor him, mm-hmm. you know, like, since I got clean, I've been with my wife only, you know, and our relationship isn't always good all the time, but I don't go outside my marriage, bro. That's awesome. You know, and those are things that I, that I honor, dude, you know, for God. And I, I haven't put my hands on anybody. I haven't gone to jail, you know. I started getting my life back together, man. I, I started going to school. Let's talk about school. How did that all happen? 
Well, uh, somebody told me to go get my GED, so I did. At what age? How old were you? I was uh, 32. Mm-hmm. I went and got my GED, and uh, I dropped out when I was 18. And I went to, I had like two years clean around there. Mm-hmm. I went and got my GED. I was doing step work, and it, it said write down some goals. So I did. I went back and got my GED, and then I asked, what do I do now? And I asked somebody. They said, go to college. I said, go to college for what? I don't know. Just go to college. And I did. And I ended, I'm, I'm an honor student in college. I graduated with honors, you know. I went to Broward College for my associates, and I'm now currently in uh, working on my bachelor's in social work at uh, FAU. And uh, you know because I was scared to walk in the class and get my mm-hmm. student ID, and you walked me in the student life and uh, helped me get my student ID. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I remember you were like, bro, I don't know about this. I was like, what do you mean, bro? You just go in there and get your ID. You're like, bro, if you gave me a pistol and said we're going to go into this trap house and rob them, I could do that. But like, this is just weird, bro. I don't know nobody at school. Like, what if they make me look stupid? Or what if I show up late? I was just like, bro, it's just school. And you're like, bro, this is mad hard for me. And uh, it was cool, man. It was really cool seeing you like, you know, start school and like ask me about classes and and, uh, rate my professor, you know. I was a good student when I wasn't doing drugs. Mm-hmm. I was on a roll. And what now was it I'm like walking again. into school? You know, they look at me crazy. Yeah. Uh, it was different. <laughs> you know, like sometimes the professor would just be like scared to talk to me because I got face tattoos and, you know, I'm covered in tats. And it was, you know, I could see people being a little discouraged. Mm-hmm. I get that sometimes, you know, until they get to meet me and then, you know, they know I'm a teddy bear. Yeah. I mean, school is like one of the best things that ever happened to me, man. I got uh, uh, nominated for an award, uh, most outstanding student from the English department in 2015 from Broward College. That's so cool. I got to go to a ceremony. Here I am, <laughs> tattoo face, up there with a bunch of 18-year-olds. And my mom, my mom had four boys, and I'm the only boy that graduated college. Wow. Yeah, and she got to sit and watch me get my award with That's my wife. That's so cool. Like never in a million years, and I, and then I had another professor make a uh, a scholarship in my name for kids that dropped out. So she mm-hmm. she made a scholarship called the Corey Lewis Scholarship. Wow, and that felt cool. Like you can't make that shit up, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. And I just started going to school, man. I just I love it. And I, I mean, right now I had to write a nine page paper, mm-hmm. and like I'm helping some kids in my class like do APA, you know, and it's weird that people are asking me to revise their paper, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, Corey, can you look this over before I turn it in? And I'm like, all right. And as I'm revising their paper, I'm like, am I really sitting in my room right now revising another student's paper in college before they turn it in? Mm-hmm. And like, I, I'll have my, my professor wrote me and she's like, yo, I read one of your papers. I started crying. Wow. And, it, you know, just you feel... You feel God moving you. You're like, you know, I, I, it's a miracle, man. Wilder than any acid trip. I tell people all the time, bro. I'm like, bro, like, like what happens to people when they get clean? It's really true what they say. Like, beyond your wildest dreams, like, anything you ever thought of is, like, nothing compared to whatever you can come up with, you know? We get addicted to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. I think once I learned how to replace all the bad stuff with the good stuff, now I'm addicted to school you know, eating right and all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, I got diabetes in recovery. Wow. And high blood pressure. I never had that. And yeah. I had to, like, I had to hit a bottom with that just like I did drugs. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, like, 
drinking protein shakes and riding my bike 10 miles a night, you know. Eating organic food. Yeah, eating all kinds of good stuff. I'm eating this algae called sea moss. Yeah, no, you got me on it. My buddy told me about it. I said, what are you giving me? I pulled up to his house, this kid I sell dope with. <laughs> this black kid, he's getting his master's degree, man. Oh, wow, He's a really? good cat. Yeah, I pull, he's like, come by, man. I know your sugar levels were high. And I'm like, what's up, dog? I pull up. He pulls me out this jar. We're out on the street. Wow. And he gives me the jar of sea moss. It looks crazy. I'm like, what are you giving me? He's like, take two teaspoons, two, two big tablespoons a day for a month. And tell me how you feel. And I'm like, dude, I'm not putting this in my mouth. It looks like <laughs> purple apple, like almost like applesauce or something. Uh -huh. And I've been taking it, man. It's, cha it's changed my life, dude. Yeah, Little things crazy. like that, you know? And uh, like not even going to school, I, I became a father, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I remember the kid that they used to bring to the treatment center. I used to have like supervised um, visits when my son was just born mm -hmm. when I was in treatment. Um, and if I left, I'd go to jail. So I couldn't do anything. He's never seen me with a drink or a drug. And he was real young, so he doesn't remember it. Mm -hmm. And then I had another kid, my other son, Cameron. He's nonverbal autistic. Quentin's well, 10 what and was that Cam's like, 9. You know, having, or what's it like, you know, having a, a son that has autism? It's another angel God sent to me. I mean, I can't put it in words, man. I mean, there's, there's like, when you, have a, when you have a son that can't talk, it puts things in perspective for you. Mm -hmm. You know, we take advantage of the little things. He shows me, like, he speaks to me through his eyes, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, everything, like, he listens to Bob Marley, which is weird. Like, if if we're riding in the truck, and I have, I, you have to put Bob Marley on, all right? right? And if you turn it off, he goes, ah, ah, and he points at it, like, turn it back up. That's how he talks. He'll, like, mm -hmm. point and stuff. And he gets mad if you turn the Bob Marley off. And he'll play the same song over and over. Wow. And it's really cool that, like, every once in a while, I'll hear him mimicking some, like, like whoa, yo, yo. And then, he'll, but he's saying it is he's saying it in his own lingo, mm -hmm. like he's humming it, and like it's there ain't no drug in the world that can make you uh, feel better, you know. And it's those little moments, man, when you're there with your kids. Like today, before I came here, I was helping Quentin do homework, mm -hmm. you know. And if I was on drugs or you know living how I used to, I would have never did that, man. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, like for me growing up, I just always like emulated like the drug dealers and the gangsters and whatever. And like, dude, I was, I wasn't even really selling drugs, bro. I was just a straight crackhead looking for $20, you know, <laughs> like as much as I'd like to play this scenario in my head, bro, like, you know, I don't have a glamorous story at all, even for a little bit, bro. I was dope sick at a coin star, you know? And um, as I've gotten clean, I see people take care of their kids and go to school. And when I see people go back to school, that used to shoot heroin or be on dope or, or whatever or sell pills. I'm like, wow, that's gangster. Like people going back to school to me, I'm like, that's cool. You know, I see um, people actually stepping up and being good parents and taking care of their kids. Like my whole perception of what's cool has changed. Me too. I started going back to school just, you know, because of you, my other buddy, Jim, and then like speaker tapes, mm -hmm. you know, the guy who, Hell has an exit, you know, mm -hmm. who started that. I would listen to speaker tapes and they, you know, they inspire me to go to school. Yeah, bro, because you're like, oh, bro, I don't want to go back to school. I'm already in my 30s. You got people going back to school at 55 years old, 60 years old going back to school. And it feels good to work your brain out, mm -hmm. you know. I want to be able to have that, that degree where, like, 
I work in a field where like I like you can't say nothing to me because I got the paperwork. Mm-hmm. Like I I think I have the experience from doing drugs, living in your life. Yeah, but I work in treatment now. Mm-hmm. So like and I left my old job that I worked for 8 years to make way less money just to work in treatment because what you're doing, you know, like you you run the treatment center and own it whatever. Appreciate that. And you know, I mean I was making I worked at this old job that I had. I was trying to get you over there for a long time, bro. I was just like, bro, I just need Corey over here. And people were like, he ain't got no experience. Like, bro, it don't matter. He just need to be around the clients, you know? Because, <laughs> bro, you just got like a positive energy, bro. Like, I've never heard one bad thing about you, bro, from any staff or anyone in recovery or whatever, bro. Like, you're just a super positive dude. A lot of people, like, see how many friends I got or how many people know me. But, like, honestly, bro, like, you're one of my closest friends, bro. I feel like I could talk to you about anything, you know? For sure, man. I love you, Tom. Love you too, bro. I, I was working before this. I was working graveyard shift mm-hmm. for like eight years, six nights a week at a bakery running the distribution department. I was making good cash, but I never saw my family, dude. Since I came work with you, I mean, my life is changed. I mean, I, I work during the day, so all night I'm with my kids and family. Yeah. You get, you know, I mean, it's just a whole nother world, dude. My life has changed so much. And it, it ain't about the money, man. Like, I could be a CEO of your company and I would think I would rather be in my little IOP van, what I do Mm -hmm. and drive because there's like, there's this transition that happens from PHP to IOP and it's important that the client has a good transition. So when you got the right music on and you make them feel comfortable, usually they last a little longer and I've Mm -hmm. like noticed things like that, you know? Of course. So I gave it my all, you know, and it ain't about the money, man. I just, I like working with, with addicts. Mm-hmm. I just love it, you know, and that's what I want to do, man. I don't know what I want to do, maybe run groups or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to focus on school and, like, keep up with some helping people out. Uh, so, like, for people that think God is weird, um, you know, or, like, someone that doesn't have a relationship with God, you know, like, even now saying the word God is so normal to me because I've just been saying it since I had, like, four or five years clean. But there was a long time, even up until, you know, my first couple years clean, I wouldn't really say God. I wouldn't like say that word. I would say higher power or whatever. And I've transitioned into saying it. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't make me feel weird at all. Like the universe, whatever you want to think is like, to me, it's all encompassing, you know. But like, how was your transition into like your spirituality and like um, if you were trying to help someone who struggled with the God concept? Because honestly, bro, that's the biggest question I get. It's like, oh, I can't be clean. I don't understand the God thing. Or like, I don't get the God part. Or like, I'm not close with God. Or I'm not religious. I think it's changed, you know. I I went to Catholic school. And uh, my mom is like diehard Catholic. You know, she brings holy water over to the halfway houses and (laughs) and prays over the guys. Really? Yeah. And like, I call myself a Christian. But there's a lot of spirituality, too, that I have. Like, when my dad just died, um, took his ashes down to the Keys, and uh, as soon as I put him in the ocean, this uh, stingray came mm-hmm. and, like, swam through the ashes. And it, as soon as that happened, I just had, like, that spiritual moment, you know? And it was, like, things like that happen in recovery. Like, you can't... Like, there's no quinky dink that as soon as I put my dad's ashes in the ocean, that this leopard stingray just happened to come and do a circle through the ashes mm-hmm. and then swim away. And then you start to question your spirituality. Like, wait a minute. Am I a Hindu now? Because I think my dad just came to me as a stingray. <laughs> 
and it changes you know your spirituality changes so I, it's hard to put like concrete words on like god or spirituality because it's different all the time you mm -hmm. know like if i i went to a florence and machine concert and i had goosebumps from my head to my toe and it's like i didn't think i was gonna like it It was gonna be a chick concert and like i felt god so heavy man like that's the last place like you think you would get that in church like i do yeah. get it from church but when i'm in the in a, in like something like that it's like god showing himself mm -hmm. you know I had a dude, uh, this kid that lived up the street from me that I used to do tattoos on. He robbed my house, and uh, he was on that flock when it was around Broward County. Mm -hmm. He ended up writing me a letter from prison wow. and asked me to sponsor him. So my wife is like, how are you even writing back to this guy after he <laughs> broke into our house? And I remember how many times I did that to people. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what? She's like, what are you going to do? So I, I picked up some step work, and I sent it back to him in prison. Wow. We were doing step work. That's cool. And it's like little that you feel the God in that. Like, what's a quinky thing? Like, you don't, only God can do that, bro. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, I always try to turn that chitter chatter in my head into like constant conversation with God, you know? Yeah, I think being an addict that uh, we have a lot of empathy and like that other people can't even fathom, bro. Because like, I hear, you know, my friend or someone I know, oh, someone broke into my car. And I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm really sorry. But they'll be like, oh, that motherfucker, that piece of shit. And I'm just like, Bro, I've broken into cars. It ain't like a cool feeling, bro. It ain't like you want to break into a car, bro. It's like, fuck, like I have to do this. And it's not that like they shouldn't be held accountable. They should go to jail. They should have consequences. But it's a real shitty feeling, bro, when you're dope sick or whatever. And you're like that low where you're going to break into a car. And nine times out of ten, there ain't nothing in there, you know. So like I think, you know, that, that God allows people like us to go through certain things. So we can love the people that have been through those things that are currently going through them, you know? For sure. Practice forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Once you keep praying on God to come inside and, and, and he fills you up with his spirit, it's like he gives you discernment. So you, when you have the spirit and you have discernment, you can see these things, you know? It's like you can see the learning lesson in it without slapping somebody, mm -hmm. you know? And it, if you don't have the spirit, you don't, you can't do that. I get resentful towards people too. Sometimes I like my biggest thing is I guess like, it's so hard for me to forgive somebody sometimes. Like, I can't believe they did that. I just like get worked up on it. And it's normally over real petty things, but like, uh, that's like what I struggle with, like on a daily basis where like, I'll think it's over and I think I've forgiven somebody. And then like a year will go by and like, just randomly, I'll just like think of them and be like, oh, I hate that motherfucker. And like, it's very rare, you know, but like, that's my biggest thing is to try to see it from someone else's perspective and uh, try to like have empathy for them because think about how much shit I've done to people that people forgave me for, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, the resentment thing is hard. Like I was just yesterday when I was riding my bike, I was thinking of somebody that uh, came in my house and pulled a gun on me because I found out he was snitching and mm -hmm. I told somebody else and he was mad or whatever. So he came and pulled a gun on me. That was like t over 20 years ago, bro. And I'm riding my bike yesterday, picturing his face to push harder on the pedals. Wow. So that resentment is- It's like motivating you. It's sitting right there. Yeah, yeah, it's for a good thing, but it's still not good to be thinking like of that. Of course. You know? I appreciate uh, you having me come do this. Of course, bro. I love you, bro. Um, Anybody that got to hear this podcast, you know, words are powerful. And uh, for some reason, this podcast found you, even if you're not an addict- I hope it uh, does something for you and you have a better day. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I love you, bro. Love you too, dog. Thank you. 
This show is not affiliated with any specific 12-step program. If you or a loved one is struggling with an addiction, please find a local 12-step meeting. If you believe you may need detox or drug treatment of any kind, please call 888-699-9395 to speak to a specialist. This show is sponsored by United Recovery Project, a state-of-the-art drug and alcohol rehab facility. You can visit our website at unitedrecoveryproject.com.